Welcome back, everybody. This is the Prepared Mindset Podcast, and I'm your host, Austin. And guys, we got a ton to get into this week. Um, I got a really badass guest joining me. Uh, hey, if you've been looking at the news today, a couple really interesting things going on. You know, uh, hey, Detroit Lions favored for playoffs. Aaron Rodgers tore his uh, Achilles. Oh, and by the way, now McCarthy is uh, bringing around impeachment talks for our president, which is a pretty big deal. Um, on one hand, I'm excited to see it. <clears throat> on the other hand, uh, I, I kind of wonder like how long we can survive this way as a country. Like, hey, Republicans in office, Democrats are going to try and impeach him. Now Democrats in office, Republicans are going to try and impeach him, you know, back and forth, back and forth until we, I don't know, until we fall apart. I, I don't freaking know. Um, <clears throat> it's a, uh, well, it'll be interesting to see how it goes. Um, I'll put it that way, you know. Uh, where there was four years of impeachment investigations uh, and, and things like that for the previous administration. Um, they, they still found no wrongdoing, and through all the indictments and things, still n not been able to get anything concrete to stick. Most of them have been dropped. Um, just keep finding new reasons to indict, you know, the former president. Um, but I have a feeling, you know, if they dig far enough, <clears throat> they will find something on our, our current president uh, and his son, who uh, is actually, according to Fox News, still under federal investigation in Delaware for, you know, I'm sure a ton of different things. But um, at any rate, it should be really, uh, <laughs> it, it should be really interesting to see what the hell happens, because, uh, you know, I think a lot of people have kind of lost, um, lost faith lost trust in the government, um, more, more so than we already had up until, uh, the last couple of years, um, with this administration. So I, I very much am interested to see how this plays out, um, and, and what is done, what agencies are involved, uh, to what level they're involved with investigations and things like that. Um, assuming it moves forward, uh, that's a big if, um, we'll just have to wait and see, but at any rate, Guys, we have a really cool uh, episode this week. I'm joined by Matthew Thomas, who is the chief deputy in Pinal County in Arizona. And if if that sounds in you know uh, like it's it, it's sticking in the back of your brain somewhere, you can't quite put your finger on it. The Pinal County Sheriff's Department was one of the agencies that was featured on the show Live PD uh, previous to its cancellation when the world you know lost its fucking mind and decided that uh, everything that was uh, you know, police oriented, uh, live PD cops, all those things, they were all racist. So they had to be canceled by their networks. And, um, ironically, uh, cops is back on the air and live PD is, I think it's on patrol live It's on the reels channel, which I don't, I don't, um, I don't have on any of my services. Uh, I damn near everything else. I just don't have that. So I am not unfortunately able to, uh, partake in the new, uh, Dan Abrams endeavor, but, uh, I digress. So I'm joined, uh, by Matthew Thomas, um, I actually just finished his book, uh, Interceptors, uh, where he talks about his work in, uh, you know, anti-narcotics, anti-smuggling, uh, uh, combating the cartels and things in the, the southern border of Arizona. So uh, really should be a very cool conversation. I think we're going to get into a lot of things and kind of get a peek behind the curtain, so to speak, at, uh, at the fight that is going on on our southern border, which is a hot button issue, right? We talk about <clears throat> immigration. We talk about, uh, the fentanyl problems in the country. It's all, you know, a lot of those things, they, they, they these issues tie back to the Southern border, letting, uh, the gates open, right? Anybody who wants to come in should be able to come in and, you know, free immigration for all, no borders. 
uh, man does not define a border. Or I mean, I, I don't even know. Uh, the liberals have all kinds of crazy slogans and sayings and just really jacked up justifications for how we should let everybody into the United States. Um, and I'm sure we'll get into, you know, Matt and I will get into all of that in our discussion. Before I get over to that discussion, though, uh, this is a sponsored podcast. If you guys have been listening to us since the beginning, or maybe even just for the last, I don't know, year or several months, you know, um, we have grown quite a bit. We brought in our first sponsor a couple years ago, but uh, sponsors, if you guys listen to other podcasts too, sponsors kind of make the world go around. They make this, this really possible, and they really, really help with everything that you guys are getting content wise and, and things like that. Um, and, and not just here on, you know, whatever platform you're streaming this on also on our, our Instagram, which is at prepared underscore mindset, underscore pod at our Patreon page, which is patreon.com forward slash prepared underscore mindset, underscore, uh, pod. So, uh, they, sponsors make this all possible. And without our partners, without our, uh, relationships here, we just would not be able to do all the things that we do. So it's important that we, you know, say thank you to them, but also let you guys know, Hey, these are some pretty badass companies that we work with. Um, and we only partner here anyways with companies that we, uh, you know, are happy to recommend. We know you're going to have a good experience and get a good product. So with that said, have to say huge thank you to custom night vision. You guys head on over to their website. It's customnightvision.com. You may know them by their previous name, which was kosher surplus <clears throat> back when the ammo game was running strong. Kosher surplus was a place. A lot of people looked to get a hold of some freedom seeds. Well, they have since kind of turned into custom night vision as the ammo game has dried up for a, a number of reasons. But if you are looking to get into night vision, guys, custom night vision has a lot of options and they're going to be able to square you guys away. No friggin' problem. So if you're new to night vision, right? Looks cool. You don't really know what you need. You don't really know what to get. And you got a, a relatively fixed budget. These guys will get you squared away. PVS 14, uh, one of the Tonto housings from, you know, Nocturne and things, uh, green phosphor, white phosphor, whatever you guys need, they will get you all set up. They also carry helmets from Opscore and Team Wendy. They have several different mounting options, whether it's like a, a USGI Rhino mount, something basic, or one of the, you know, super cool guy, high speed, low drag Wilcox mounts that everybody likes to play with. Even if you are looking at getting out of the single tube game and you want to get into something binocular, right? So like the 1431s that they, they hooked me up with or some RNVGs, whatever, you know, flavor, uh, you know, DTNVSs, right? Whatever, whatever you're looking to get into, right? Custom night vision is going to help you guys out and they have solutions. And again, green phosphor, white phosphor, they're going to take care of you guys. All right. They have an like insight chat function. So, you know, you're going to be talking to somebody, you know, you're going to get an answer and you know, somebody is paying attention to you. Head on over to customnightvision.com. Check out all the good stuff they have going on. And guys, the prices are second to none. Grab some night vision, pick up some flashlights, pick up some lasers. You know, it's a one-stop shop for everything you need for night vision. You can pick everything up there. You can put it all together, slap it on your gun, and you are good to go gooning with the boys. Again, customnightvision.com. Head over there, check them out today. Let them know we sent you. Also, big old shout out to the team over at HRT, hrttacticalgear.com. You guys, if you're looking for a carrier, you're looking for a belt, you're looking for some quality nylon gear to complete your rig. 
These guys actually started out as a tactical training company, so they know firsthand what it takes to have good, robust gear that isn't going to quit on you, it isn't going to fail on you, and they designed all of their kit around the needs of the the law enforcement community, the SWAT community that's going to beat the hell out of this gear, and they're going to need it to last, they're going to need it to keep going through those long operations, through those harsh environments. I've been running their LBAT carrier, absolutely love it, it's like a baby between like an AVS system, and it's got the Tigris cover buns on the side. It's super comfortable. Uh, You know, we did a video about it and dropped it on our Patreon. You guys can check that out. They also do great, great ammo pouches uh, for magazines, you know, pistol, rifle, whatever have you. I've been running those in my belt, and so did Randy in our group, and we love them. Perfect retention, out of the box, ready to go. Guys, head on over to hrttacticalgear.com, pick up some new gear, support an awesome company, our neighbors to the south in Ohio. One more time, it's hrttacticalgear.com. Thank you as well to 100 Concepts. You guys, 100 Concepts killing the game. I don't know what else to say. Check out their scope caps. Check out their light caps. They also just dropped, uh, I think like six days ago, five days ago, uh, very recently, their scope cap pro model. So it's a scope cap and an anti-reflection device built into one really, really neat idea. I've been prototyping uh, or playing with a prototype, I should say, for the last several months. have been so excited to see this get released. You can also go pick up some of their pack scrim, helmet scrim. They have a line of hex caps, which again are anti-reflective devices for your red dot sights. So your your RMRs and uh, your 509Ts and things that you have mounted on your rifles as offsets or piggyback optics. You don't want any reflection off those. Let 100 Concepts take care of you with some of their awesome gear. Fantastic company, you guys. Their motto is literally do good, be dangerous, live free. They are the embodiment of everything that that we all hold to be true and precious to us. Support them. Pick up some of their gear from 100concepts.com. If it's out of stock there, they're at T-Rex Arms or Big Tech's Ordnance. Head over to those sites. Support what Garrett Pierce and Jonah are doing. Uh, Again, fantastic company. Super, super happy to be working with them. And last but certainly not least here, I have to say thank you to LARP Labs. Guys, you can head over to LARPLabs.com and pick up some computer-cut 3M vinyl wraps for your lights, your handheld lights, weapon lights, whatever. It doesn't make a difference. Your PVS-14, your your lasers, your optics, whether that's an EOTech, uh, Aimpoint, Vortex, Holosun, you know, they have you covered. A lot of these companies, they don't really dig it when you spray paint their shit. And it voids a warranty, which sucks because this stuff is expensive. That's where LARP Labs comes in. And they give you guys a discount code, Prepared Mindset, all one word, to save 10% off on your order. So you need some multicam, you need some Ranger Green, you need some Coyote Brown. You just don't want, you know, a silhouette of a rifle out there for the world to see. This stuff is super durable. They use it on competitive rock crawlers. I love it. I've got it on a couple of my optics here. Again, LARPLabs.com, discount code, Prepared Mindset for 10% off. So huge shout out to all of our sponsors. Uh, really, really appreciate it. Super blessed to work with those companies and to have their support. Uh, I encourage you guys all at least go check out the websites. We wouldn't be sending you guys their way if they weren't a quality crew doing quality work uh, with good products um, that, that you should have. Honestly, you should get into night vision. You should have a good quality plate carrier and belts and things like that. Uh, you know, 100 concepts is just killing it. You know, just fantastic. LARP labs. I have, like I said, I have their wraps on pretty much all of my optics. It's really, really good stuff. You guys, I really encourage you to check out all those companies. 
Now, getting to this week's episode, like I said, uh, joined by Matt Thomas. Again, he's the chief deputy for the Pinal County Sheriff's Department. And if you guys have been watching the news, right, we, the border is a big deal. That's why I was very, very happy and consider myself very fortunate to be able to connect with Matt and have somebody on who's firsthand experiencing and has experienced over the last, you know, uh, however many years, the growing issue, not just with, you know, illegal immigration, but all the other stuff that comes with, you know, battling the cartels and the drug trade and things like that, getting to kind of pick his brain and, and ask some of the questions that I'm sure most of us are curious about. Uh, as to what things are like and what it's like day to day, you know, fighting that fight. <clears throat> so it should be a very interesting discussion. I think you guys are probably going to really dig it. And if nothing else, learn a whole hell of a lot. So with any kind of, without any further ado, I should say, I'm going to just jump us on over to my discussion with Matt. Here we go. Matt, welcome to the pod, sir. Thanks for making the time. I'm excited to have you. Absolutely, man. I'm glad to be here. I honestly, uh, it was great that we were able to connect, um, you know, and, and work this out. I think, you know, like we were saying just before we started recording, I just finished your book. Um, and one of the things that's going on in the country right now, that's a big current event issue is right. The the Southern border and all that, uh, every, and, and everything that comes with it, you know, a, a variety of things. Right. So, uh, the opportunity to have somebody like yourself, that's, had some firsthand experience with it, not just, um, CNN and Fox news and, and, you know, internet articles, uh, yeah, I'm really looking forward to, to hearing uh, about what you, what you've done and what you're doing and things like that. So I, I'm very interested at, uh, what's going on. So, um, can you go ahead and introduce yourself to the listeners yeah. and just talk maybe a little bit about, um, you know, where you come from, and what you've done? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, my name is Matthew Thomas. Uh, born and raised here in Arizona, so I'm one of those elusive Arizona natives that you don't find much of anymore because everybody's moving here from somewhere else. Right. Uh, I've uh, been in law enforcement for just over 30 years, all here at the Pinal County Sheriff's Office, and uh, my position here is chief deputy, which is also referred to as undersheriff in some uh, sheriff's offices, and so uh, I'm second in command to Sheriff Mark Lamb, who a lot of people know him He's a, a kind of a popular figure around the country as as one of the mainstream sheriffs. And uh, let's see, for career wise, I've done just about everything in the agency. I, I was uh, I started in detention. I've worked patrol. I've worked uh, traffic, motors, narcotics. Uh, so I did undercover. I was a sergeant uh, over undercover and a lieutenant over undercover. Uh, I was on our SWAT team for about eighteen years. And uh, I started, you know, just as regular SWAT guy, I moved up and and I left the SWAT team as the SWAT commander. So I was I had command over that team, uh, done a bunch of anti-smuggling operations. I'm also an author. I wrote my book, Interceptors, uh, which kind of details some of the cartel stuff. Uh, I'm a dad of three and uh, married to my lovely wife for 30 years. She's been on this whole ride with me and is uh-huh. an angel for doing that. And uh, yeah, that's 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 about me, man. So to give the listeners a, a reference, we're Pinal County. And I think because Pinal County was on live PD, right? Was that one of the, were you guys one of the agencies that were featured when the show was, man, I'm, I'm still, it's still raw that, uh, that they canceled that show. But yeah, I know. Uh, how, uh, how far are you guys approximately from the Southern border of the U.S.? So the closest point, we're right about 51, 52 miles from the border itself. 
but typically speaking, like the big smuggling area, we're about 65 miles off the border in those locations, and it's at the southwest portion of our county. So um, geographically, for, for reference points, we are right in between Phoenix and Tucson. So if you travel from one to the other, you go right through our county. So we're right in between. And uh, so we're not right on the border. Uh, many people make that mistake and they think we're a border county, which we are not. But uh, we have a very unique geographical location in our state and the southwest corner of our county being 65 miles off the border. That 65 miles is wide open desert. And a lot of it is uh, Indian reservation, the Tone Odom Indian reservation. And so it's a lot of uh, a sovereign territory, essentially. And so wide open desert, no real towns, some small Indian villages along the way. Uh, so it kind of remote. And uh, mm -hmm. essentially what happens is the cartels use that uh, to to gain that ground. And so they they set up scouts and they set up uh, operations in those remote areas to move their product through, whether it be humans or drugs. And then when they hit our county is kind of where they hit. Uh, first civilization, some of the first towns and uh, Interstate 8 starts in our county and they hit the interstate uh, right at the edge of that remote desert area. So with everything going on, I mean, it's basically political, but with the southern border, right, the the movement right now by the current administration, right, open the borders, let everybody in. Right. And uh, so I and I again, I, I've, I've read your book, um, so I know that there was already I don't want to use the term struggle, but you guys got a difficult job keeping up with uh, an adversary, I'll say, right, in the cartels that are constantly evolving, right, constantly learning and, and finding new and inventive ways to try and uh, outsmart you guys, right, um, because it's a big business for them. So now with this administration basically saying, hey, let's just open the doors for everybody, how has that impacted, you know, what you the work that your your team uh and your colleagues have been you know fighting so hard for the last you know 30 years to try and combat such an issue that's only really gotten worse how has that impacted everything uh well it really complicates it and and the, i think one of the things that people need to understand is a lot of people make the mistake of calling this illegal immigration right and lumping everything into that one thing and yeah. um even at the national level, right, the, at the federal level, they'll talk about it as illegal immigration. And it's not illegal immigration anymore that we're faced with. We, we have a massive migration of people from other countries coming in. And so what this administration has done by by basically claiming that, hey, you're free to come and free to come in and, and uh, no accountability, that has caused a mass migration of illegal immigrants. The problem with that is currently... Um, the cartels control the border. And so you can say that the border's open all day long um, and we're doing our best to keep it sealed from our side, but the cartels have it sealed from their side. So you don't pass unless the, unless the cartels allow you to pass. And so what they've done is they've empowered the cartels even more because they're making money on this. So with this mass migration, the cartels control the Southern uh, side of the border and essentially they are paid. So if anybody wants to cross that border, you pay the cartels a tax to do so. And that can be anywhere from $2,000 upwards of $15,000, $16,000 per person to cross wow. over. And, uh, and the cartels, if you think about it, 
as a business model, it's genius because they're getting paid before the product goes across the line. Now with drugs, it's different, right? They ship the drugs up and essentially they're fronting those drugs into the U.S. And then when the drugs land at their location and get sold to whoever they get sold to, uh, to be distributed throughout, the money comes back to Mexico. Well, when you're extorting people at your border in your country, they're getting that money first and then they're shipping the product over. And if those people get caught, the cartels don't care because they really don't care what happens to them after they leave the border because it's not their concern anymore. They've made their money off the people. Right. Um, and the only thing that that compounds that problem is uh, the cartels are not dumb. And so a lot of times people will say, well, I don't have $5,000 to give you to cross over. Don't worry. We have a solution for that, right? <laughs> the cartels yeah, have a solution yeah. for that. Their solution is indentured slavery, essentially. So, that's another thing that people don't realize is this has created one of the biggest slavery drives of all time. And so you have people going into slavery, essentially, because if it's women, they're going to become sex trafficked and they're going to have to work off those charges and they never work off those charges. Uh, if it's men, they're going to have to go into the U.S. and work jobs for the cartels that they're told to work to work off those those uh, charges and they never work them off uh, because they keep accumulating, you know, more and more debt uh, or they are tasked with carrying drugs over. And now they're committing an illegal act in addition to crossing illegally. Now they're carrying drugs or, you know, whatever over the border for the cartels. So there's all this uh, just mess going on. Down, and you still have drugs. So there's drugs being brought over. There's humans being trafficked. Um, and Another thing that people don't realize about the cartels is the fact that they are they used to be a drug trafficking organization. That is what they were referred to in our world. They call right. them DTOs, right? You would hear DTO all the time. Uh, Chapo Guzman is the head of a DTO. They are now called TCOs, Transnational Criminal Organizations. So they're all over the world and they're involved in all types of crimes. They are doing extortion. They're doing murder. Uh, murder for hire. They're robbing people. They rape women. Um, they steal oil and resell it on the black market. They steal precious metals and jewels, resell them on the black market. They're big into counterfeiting. Uh, so they're very diverse in everything that they do. And they still do the drugs and they also traffic human beings. Um, so very large, very pow powerful organization. And uh, our country has enabled them to become more powerful and affect human beings even worse. Yeah. And it's, and those are all issues that people, you acknowledge their existence, right? But it's kind of always like the back of the mind type of thing, right? Unless it's up in front of you. Um, the, I'll say you're probably your average American. Oh, I know counterfeiting exists. Oh, I know, you know, uh, human trafficking is a problem and it's horrible, but you don't, you don't really, acknowledge it right because you're not living in front of it it's one of those dark things we don't like to talk about and you know and i'll say that uh maybe that has gotten slightly better in the last few months with that movie sound of freedom that, that came out and uh hopefully has just brought more attention to the issue but uh it, it's just those are just a couple right of the many issues that you, that you just rattled off that are tied to this problem down at the border and compounding that right <clears throat> there's an ongoing push for less law enforcement funding uh, for uh, 
less police in general um and and the media skews everything towards a certain you know frame of reference it's always you know oh look how awful this is look how oh, i mean these children are in cages and it's awful and um and you mentioned the border patrol in your book and, and the close relationship you guys have with them and it's just not it's not accurate i don't think people realize you know how bad things are people really misrepresent the border patrol uh more than any of the law enforcement down here dealing with this problem i would say um misrepresent them as being racist because of the job that they do uh Mm -hmm. misrepresent them of being just cowboys out there doing wild stuff which is not true uh, the men and women of the Border Patrol that I've worked with are just like the men and women in, in any other law enforcement branch, and they care deeply about their country. They care deeply about uh, people in general. They take their oath very seriously, and uh, all of that stuff is just really rhetoric uh, because when you get down to it, when when you are here and you see it and you deal with it every day, you see what actually goes on. You see border patrol agents putting their lives at risk to save other people that they don't know that are not from this country. And that are, some of them are just trying to get here for a better life. And we acknowledge that we understand that we're a country of immigrants. Like we're not saying that's a bad thing. And, and we support legal immigration because there's a process. And, And I think another thing that people don't understand well, they're starting to understand it because they're starting to see the the cause and effect of this whole thing. When people start paying more for hospital bills, when people start um, paying more for everything, right? It, it, they're yeah. seeing that our infrastructure is being taxed heavily, and it can't support this level of of migration that can't be controlled. Um, so you're you're seeing the results of all that. Yeah, and I. Uh, and I, you know, I'd heard about it before I read in your book, but I, I don't think a lot of people can realize that uh, the border patrol is not exactly an agency that just sits there and like, you know, at a toll booth and watches people come and go and they, you know, ruin your day when they, you know, uh, invest your, or investigate your, your trunk and stuff and slow everything down. I didn't even realize they have their own like, uh, tactical teams and things that are, uh, engaged in some of those operations and, uh, can you talk about any of that? Uh, you know, what, what that looks like, how strategically they're trying to address the issue. I mean, and it's a huge job. I don't think any one agency is really, uh, people say it's border patrol, but I mean, with budget cuts and everything, I mean, I got to imagine that's a huge order for, oh, you yeah. know, any, any number of agencies to try and address on their own. Yeah. And we, so the border patrol does a fantastic job. Yeah. They, they've got so many facets to what they do. And uh, they, you know, you you have your typical uniform agent um, that everybody envisions, right? With the green uniform out in the desert, uh, either chasing bad guys, whatever they're doing. Um, but then you have uh, plainclothes units that are doing intelligence. So they're gathering intelligence. Uh, they're putting, uh, they, they have cases that they're putting together. They work, they work very closely with um, their, the DEA and uh, Homeland Security Investigations. They, they work closely with them providing that intel uh, into big cases that are being worked, international cases that are being worked. Um, And then they have their tactical unit, the board tackers. Some of the most tactically sound uh, people I've ever worked with was Border Patrol's tactical unit. The board tack guys are top notch, put them up against anybody. And they taught us quite a bit about, uh, you know, the stuff we were doing out there. We learned a whole lot from them. And, uh, you know, I think uh, when you're in this world, especially when you're like a SWAT guy or a tactical guy, 
um, the ultimate complicate or compliment is I would go through any door with that guy. And I would go through any door with any of those Bortec guys. They're top notch and, and people really don't know about them. And they've done yeah. a lot of cool stuff, not only in our country, but even in the, the war on terror. Uh, you know, they they were involved in some of that stuff. They've done a lot of cool stuff and uh, they're great agency. Yeah, I, I honestly I and I think I now that you say that, I think I've heard that they were in brought in for some of the the GWAT stuff. Um, but yeah, again, it's something that people don't really acknowledge or, or know that. I mean, again, again, unless you're in one of those communities where you see them out there doing those things actively like here. You know, I'm in Metro Detroit, so my uh, biggest, inv- you know, uh, involvement with Border Patrol is when I'm going over to Canada to try and, you know, I don't know, go to the casino or or something. You know, uh, it really it's it's somewhat minimal. Um, I mean, and I'm sure compared to what you you all see down there, it's very very different. Yeah. Um, yeah. And yeah, in terms northern, of northern border looks way different than the southern border. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah, I have to imagine so. I, I've never been to the southern border. I've only been as far as Houston, but I have to imagine it's a, uh, it's a very different animal. Um, not to say we probably don't have those issues of at least to some extent up here. I'm sure we do, yeah. Yeah. Um, but it's yeah, not not the same at all. And and in that regard, even you know, we talk about uh, the what people think is like a prototypical law enforcement, you say SWAT team and you think of the stupid TV show on CBS and like, you know, uh, barricaded suspects in houses and things like that. So, uh, can you talk a little bit about some of the, how, what you guys are doing in the effort to fight the cartels things, how, how that's different. You know, there's a carryover of those skill sets, obviously, but it's not exactly your typical application. Right. No, it's not. And, and again, that's where we learned a lot from like the, the, Bortac teams, um, because we were doing uh, open area movements that were really not our forte as a SWAT team. As a SWAT team, our team was really, you know, warrant services, barricaded suspects, uh, hostage rescue stuff. You know, that's that was the stuff we were trained for. Um, And as we started fighting these cartels out in the open desert, um, it was much more military than we were used to or that we were prepared for. And uh, when I would talk to guys that had fought over in Iraq and Afghanistan, especially Afghanistan, they were like, dude, this is the exact same thing we saw over there. So if you just imagine all the mountaintops, all of our mountaintops had scouts on them that were cartel employees. So you had cartel members on hilltops and they would camp up there for days, weeks, months on end. They had their own radio system. Uh, so they were using encrypted radios. Uh, they would also use, you know, their cell phones, an area that they had uh, cell coverage, and uh, they were overlooked positions. So essentially, they are watching these valleys and all these routes and uh, observing and reporting back to their bosses. And uh, they had a line of communication from we're right outside of Metro Phoenix all the way down into Mexico and uh, had a, a communication network set up. Um, they had a transportation network set up or not have have a transportation network set up where they are transporting. There's money and drugs or money and drugs, money and guns going south, drugs coming north, people coming north. And they have those transportation cells set up to accomplish all that, all of the uh, logistics that go behind it. Uh, and so they're run much like a Fortune 500 company with all the logistics and all the different sales of different people, they're very compartmentalized. And, you know, this area does this, this area does that. But for us specifically in our fight, 
uh, we had to learn how to do that out in the open desert. So we had to learn how to do essentially counter narcotic operations that were much like uh, 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 just open field exercises with yeah. troop movement through troop movement through um, open desert um, under night vision and insert into places to counter the the LPOPs. And so we had to set up our own LPOPs to counter their LPOPs. So you'd have to sneak in, you'd have to get to these spots, you'd have to try and, you know, figure out their locations. Sometimes we were using signal intelligence to do that. Uh, sometimes we would just do it the old fashioned way of, of cop work and you're up on a hill and, and you're looking for uh, signs of, of human activity in areas. And um, then when it comes to taking them down, same thing, we're out in an open area. And so if it was vehicle borne operations, we would have to figure out how are we going to trap this vehicle in and how are we going to take these people off in the middle of nowhere? Um, and how are we going to do that safely? And we would be in, um, we'd be in vehicle chases, no lights on under night vision, driving 70 miles an hour down a dirt road out in the middle of the desert in the middle of Arizona and chasing bad guys. And and that is not normal. Like that's not what normal cops do. Right? <laughs> um, yeah. So, no. Stuff like that was uh, a huge learning curve uh, for us. And as you learn it and you like catch them or you take them down, they evolve. So they learn too. okay, they got us doing this and this is how they got us. So now we'll change our tactics and we'll do this. And and so it was a constant cat and mouse game. Yeah. And so really, you guys ended up it's more of like a recon team, something from, you know, very very much something you would anticipate uh in in a military setting uh learning recon skills learning uh small unit tactics and things like that more than your conventional uh SWAT team you would think in a in a very suburb I mean and once you dig into it right there there's a lot of law enforcement agencies across the country that have to cross train on that stuff but I think that the average person when you bring it up they just they think you know again barricaded gunmen and very urban stuff and big cities and uh and obviously a totally different animal and you know and then again i'll go back to the book like some of the stuff you uh detailed in there some of those uh outposts and, and lookout points and things it sells and sells a car batteries wired together to power them for i mean it for weeks at a time almost it seemed like uh i mean they could stay up there for ever and yeah and they they had a whole um that was one of the things that we uh, we started attacking was their uh, their supply chain, right? Because we knew in those positions that uh, those scouts up on the hills, they needed food, they needed water, they needed batteries, right. resupplies. Um, and so what we started doing, because they had their own network for that. So there was a whole, uh, uh, a whole contingency that was dedicated to just resupplying those scout locations. And so you would uh, we would focus on those and you would catch them coming down with food and batteries and alcohol and smokes and all yeah. that kind of stuff. And uh, we started taking those off and and saying, okay, well, we missed the load of dope going north, but what we can do is intercept this food and stuff going south and headed to the scouts so that we make them a little bit uncomfortable and uh, kind of mess up their game. And so our our goal was to disrupt and dismantle as many of them as possible so any way we could do that we were doing it but it, it was very militaristic and and we did have to learn um those you know those squad movements those small unit tactics the lpop stuff uh you know we didn't know anything about that if you're a hunter there's a lot of us that hunted 
So we knew about getting up on a hill and glassing and looking for animals. Sure. But now we're talking at night, right? We're we're out in the middle of, of a desert at night on top of a hill, and we're having to figure out how are we going to spot these 10 people walking through this huge valley that's probably 50 by 50 miles and figure out where the 10 guys with backpacks are on this. So, you know, a lot of technology played into that. Um, and a lot of that technology was learn as we go. So we would look to our military partners uh, or Border Patrol, and we would say, here's the problem we're trying to solve. Do you guys have a solution for this? And they would say, yeah. And uh, the, luckily, we were fighting a war during this time. And we would mm-hmm. we got so much help from our war fighters because they would be like, yeah, do this. And we would figure out, OK, that's how. And again, because it was much like Afghanistan, a lot of the stuff they were doing there not to the the danger level that they were dealing with in Afghanistan, but the same tactics. And uh, so we implemented the the military tactics for our purposes. But again, it was learn as you go because it was not normal for cops to be doing that stuff. No, and I and, and I love hearing that because one of the things that I, and, and we all have those friends, right, that are a little bit left leaning there. I get, I get things from people that know about the podcast and everything. Go, oh, why did, why do police need this? Why do they need this military equipment? And it's, it's like a, like a favorite discussion point. They, and not like they're genuinely curious. They just, they give law enforcement, uh, you know, no, no leeway. <laughs> right. oh, why do you need armored vehicles? Why do you need night vision goggles? Why do they need all this? And it's like, well, because and, and and the shittiest part of it, I'll be honest with you, is usually most of the military equipment that people get upset about, like uh, armored vehicles and stuff. Like it's all defensive. It's right. just protecting them. It's not like you're rolling a tank down the street to blow up a building. It's right. you know, and the application of this equipment, the technology, right, the tactics, and all these things. It's because it, it's it's cross applicable. Yes, I mean that's what was developed and learned over on the other side of the world. Right. But see, the yep. thing that and I had this discussion with a, a university professor that was actually doing a white paper on this. And I said, you know, you're you're missing one key component to your entire study. And he's like, well, what's that? I said, the military copied the cops to get to where they're at currently in the war. And he's like, what are you talking about? I said, dude, this was not a conventional war. So. What had to happen for the military is the military started having to implement law enforcement tactics. They had to start going door to door, kicking in doors right. and grabbing bad guys and doing interviews and all that kind of stuff. So they had to start integrating law enforcement tactics into the military. And as they did that in a war zone, they figured out very quickly, OK, if we're doing this, this is the kind of equipment that helps us do that better. And they started developing and implementing that equipment. And everything started progressing very quickly because it was wartime. Well, then I said, so you take that, take that piece. And now we in law enforcement are saying, hey, uh, that stuff you're doing over there is exactly what we're doing here. So can we get some of that equipment to use for the job we do here, too? Because we have, as everybody knows, faced higher levels of violence than we've ever faced Mm -hmm. in our career. Um, So it was all very applicable. And and. The only piece that really bugs people is that was wartime equipment. But if you look at the application, it's the same as stateside law enforcement. We just don't, we're not on the attack on our own people, right? It is a defensive right. thing and it's a thing used to keep everybody safe. Yeah. And, and that's where people, they don't, they don't see the connection. They don't, they don't connect the dots. 
Um, and, and part of the problem too is I think in a lot of instances, people are looking, right? They are looking for a reason to discredit law enforcement. They're looking for a reason. And I credit the media with most of this to, to blame cops for whatever issue, uh, socioeconomic problem they, you know, so, uh, but it, but it really is, you know, when you look at the, the issue, big picture, there's a lot of similarities between what you, you all are dealing with down there and what we were fighting, uh, in the war on terror. It's just, uh, it, it's an ugly truth, but it, you know, it, it is what it is. Um, and when you have an adversary, you know, whether it's the Taliban or a cartel, they are constantly learning. They are constantly, you know, and, and in most cases, yes, they have less advanced technology. They have, you know, uh, they have, well, I would say less resources, but I know the cartels actually have a ass load of money. So that's not exactly true, but, uh, they're, 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 they're growing in the same time. You guys are learning ways to fight them. They're learning to fight you. And it's incredibly difficult and it's at its base. I mean, that's really what war fighting is. Um, it, you know, maybe not exactly a one-to-one, but it's very similar. Yeah. Um, and I, you know, I'm sure what you guys face down there, what you see, what you've encountered is probably something like cops up here in Metro Detroit would not be encountering, you know, some of those problems. Right, right. Um, yeah, you and, know, it's just, it's very that's, that's part of the, um, cause I, I've been asked a couple of times, like, why did you write the book? And that was one of the driving reasons because when I got down to it and I started looking around and I knew, you know, from just doing the work that we did here, that I would venture to say that less than 1% of the law enforcement population in the U.S. has done the type of work that we were doing down here. And it's not because they can't do it. It's just because it's not applicable for their area. This is right. a very unique problem that we're dealing with here. And we had to have very unique solutions for that problem. And a lot of those solutions come from military tactics because the cartels are using those tactics and we have to counter them. Yeah. And it's all open source knowledge. I mean, there it's not, you know, it's not anything that's a, a huge secret, but you have to be able to, to move with it and, and evolve with it. And yeah, I mean, agencies along our Southern border. And again, one of the things you, you hit on in your book was the task force and working together with other agencies that, cause you have to, right. I mean, you have to be collaborative in this effort. The border is gigantic and uh, you know, so, and I know you guys are one County, you're one county that sees a lot of traffic because like you said, you know, you have a very unique landscape that is advantageous to the bad guys. But I know Texas is probably seeing a lot of this, uh, you know, and, and the other States along, along the border. Um, what's, I mean, are you in the last couple of years? Cause I know government work to, you know, working together is always kind of a difficult endeavor. Um, have you guys, have you seen growth there? Is there like a more established movement towards, addressing these issues uh, governmentally speaking um i don't i don't think it's ever not been there i i think throughout my career it's gotten progressively better um but i would say over the last decade or so we've had very good relationships with all levels uh federal state local all working together you always have outliers right that are mm-hmm. kind of just their own thing but uh for the most part yeah we've had great relationships and the the cool thing is this um, no matter what happens in Washington, D.C., the guys on the ground, I'll just get it done, man. So when you're talking about like Border Patrol, HSI, DEA, the Washington politics can be what they are. Uh, but here on the ground with those guys that are out there doing the job, 
they just get it done. They've, they've always worked together. We have uh, all of those partners are great. Um, all of our federal partners are fantastic. They, they help. We have task forces where we have officers assigned to the federal task forces. Uh, we have federal officers assigned to some of our units. Um, and we do cross designation, like with border patrol, our sheriff actually swears them in under state law so that they can enforce um, uh, traffic laws and stuff like that. When they're working on our task forces, it gives them the power to to stop and hold and and all that stuff of normal citizens, right? Not just uh, aliens. So he cross designates them, and then vice versa. Some of our people get cross designated with federal powers so that they have the ability to to do some of the stuff that border patrol does. Um, and so a lot of collaboration because uh, um, if if you've been a cop for uh, you know. 25, 30 years or more, you understand that the old days, it kind of used to be very like, this is mine and I don't want to share with anybody. Yeah. Um, and over the last decade or so, that has that model's been smashed, man. And, and it's all about collaboration, um, working together. Uh, there's a few exceptions to that. Um, obviously, you know, there's always some politics involved at some level. But for the most part, man, it's just cops getting it done. And that's awesome to hear, uh, because it's it, like with the the gravity of the situation, it it kind of it has to be that way, right? You know, it just it has to be. And I know it's never going to be perfect. And you know, one of the first times I ever really dug into the situation with uh, the border and the cartels, uh, actually, I heard John Norris talking on another podcast. And yeah, he, yeah. you know, for anybody yeah. listening who doesn't know John or know of John, he's a he was a, a park ranger and he stood up their tactical team. And when he started getting into the issue, it's not just the, like you said, right. It's not just an immigration problem. That's a very two dimensional way of looking at it. It's Hey, what, what they do when they come into the country, everything that comes from it. And and John's scope is obviously different or a little bit different, right. From what, what you guys work on, it's but different. And, and I know John and, and we've talked uh, cause we have some friends in common and, uh, it's different, but the same because he's he's dealing essentially with the same bad guys that we're dealing with, uh, same skill level, same type of tactics, right? And so, John and his team, same thing. They they kind of had to learn this as they went and and uh, kind of on the fly make adjustments to what they were seeing in front of them and the TTPs yeah. stuff that were going on with bad guys. Um, but a lot of the same stuff because they're having to sneak in on bad guys. They're having to set up ambushes, you know, all that stuff, encounter ambushes, encounter surveillance. Um, so really a lot of the same stuff. He's just dealing with it where the the cartels are actually growing the product in the U.S. and cultivating. Yes. And that's the areas that he was focused on and concentrating on. We're dealing with the finished product coming into the country, but a lot of the same stuff. Well, and it, it was crazy just to hear, you know, in his career, like, and and I'm sure you probably had similar experiences too. Where they go from, hey, we're gonna carry a, I don't even know, it, Smith and Wesson's naming conventions suck ass, but like whatever their old revolvers used to be, uh, or, or are, and and a shotgun, and that's all he had to, you know, today's uh, standard where they have their, uh, I think it's the Met team is what it's called or whatever, and uh, but then even just hearing the the complications with, uh, and he spoke about it at length, uh, in the, at least in the one I listened to, about the difficulties of just dealing with prosecution of these individuals and 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 how difficult it because you would assume like oh well this guy's over here this is look at all this legal shit he's doing like come on this is open open shut and i was absolutely floored 
when I heard like, nope, we just basically flip them back over the border and we'd see the same guy in like two months. Well, dude, we, we have the same guy multiple times. <laughs> we're so close, right? So it was, you know, in the time period of my my book, because a lot of that stuff changes. So time period of my book is like 9, 10, 2009, 10, 11. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, Easter and Christmas are two big holidays celebrated in Mexico. Um, and so what you would see happen is like the scouts on our hills and stuff, they would actually uh, come down. So, you know, usually a couple of weeks before Christmas, was essentially vacation time and so the cartels would take a two-week break and and everything would shut down and well, so that's convenient scouts, right yeah yeah the <laughs> scouts and stuff would all come off the hills and they would basically walk out to their closest road that they knew border patrol drove and they would wave them down and, and they're called give-ups so you would have all these give-ups right before christmas because border patrol would process them through ship them back to Mexico, drop them off and kick them across the line. And they would go back to their families for a couple of weeks for Christmas. And then they would sneak back across and get back in position and start doing their job again. And that was a constant cycle. It would happen again at Easter. So we would joke, we were like the federal government's facilitating smuggling because they're, they're helping with this whole process, you know? Yeah, no. And it's, uh, and it's, funny how it works, you know, I mean, because you kind of know, right. You kind of know what they're doing. You guys have seen enough of it. Like, you know, we know what you're here doing, but you're limited as to what you can do basically. So in those kinds of situations, when you have one of those give ups or something, is there ever an opportunity to look at somebody and go, Hey, I know what you're trying to do, but you did X, Y, or Z wrong. So you're actually being arrested and detained here. Or was it always basically just, Hey, we got to flip you back. Now it, it's, it's really, uh, it depends on what the policies are at the time of, of the border patrol. Right. And, and I'm talking the big border patrol at the national level, what are their policies? Are they just kicking them back? Um, you know, how, how's it working out? And, and typically speaking, even though you know what they're doing, you can't prove what they're doing. And that's the mm-hmm. big problem, right? Knowing it and proving it two different things. And so we can see all day long as cops, like, yeah, this is what they're doing, but we can't necessarily prove that's what they're doing. So you have to treat it at face value and, you know, process them through, even though you know that you're going to see the guy in like three weeks back up on a hill. <laughs> And yeah. so get this for, I'll, I'll give you another example of our, our government and how much we get in our own way as it relates to some of the cartel stuff. Um, so the cartels have their own radio system, like I said. So they they have their own radio network, which is essentially like our cop radios. Uh, they, they would run Kenwoods, Motorola's, that type of stuff. Typically speaking, those, uh, those professional grade radios mm-hmm. would be of Latin uh, they were Latin based. So they were uh, the serial numbers meant that they were created for Latin um, countries. And so you would get these radios that were Latin based radios. They would be in the U.S. They were encrypted. And uh, as they got more advanced, they actually had rolling encryption on these things with the, you know, the encryption keys and you could remote zap them. So they had accountability for their radios. They had their radios GPS. So they do their location. Um these radios were on using a hijacked U.S. frequency that belonged to a trucking company. And so you have illegal aliens that are using Latin-based radios on a hijacked frequency, and they are coordinating the transportation of drugs or human beings that are here illegally. So you have all that going on. And we get one of those radios, which was like the golden egg, right? If you got one of the radios, you're on their comms so you could hear what's going on. And we were told by our federal prosecutors, 
uh, you can't listen to that radio without a Title III because there's an expectation of privacy. We're like, what? What? <laughs> so, yeah. So let that just sink in, right? <laughs> All the things I named that were wrong and illegal. Well, and how, how, is there an ex- how is there an expectation of privacy? Like, so I have my technician's ham license. So as a civilian, right, because that's what they, even if they are legal citizens here, even if you treat them as a legal citizen of the U.S., we're not supposed to have encryption. Like right. we're ham radios are not supposed to have an encryption. I'm going to take a wild guess and assume that this individual isn't a licensed ham operator. Uh, depending on what frequency they are or aren't on, that could be a violate. Like there's so many, how, how is there an expectation of, of privacy? I don't understand at all. Hey, I didn't either because it like, it floored me when this prosecutor told me that. And I, I was like, Okay, dude, you obviously did not hear everything that I just went through. Like all, <laughs> all the crimes they're committing, right? And that they don't belong here. Like they, they shouldn't be here. They shouldn't be doing the things they're doing here. They shouldn't be on this frequency. They shouldn't have these radios. Um, so all of that, and I have one of their radios, and they're saying, hey, we're going to get the drugs from point A to point B on this route. And if I go and intercept those drugs, I lose them in court because protected communication and the lawyers would not budge on that. Um, and, and essentially we would have to get title threes, uh, which most people hear like on TV shows, wires, right? We would have to go do a wire to listen to this radio to then intercept the communications and take action on them. And of course there's workarounds to everything because cops are ingenious and we figured out ways around everything um, to get the job done. But that just shows you how asinine this whole thing can be and, and how much red tape and, and crap can get in the way of us doing our job. Yeah. And that's uh, it's crazy because it's like our own federal governments. Uh, the bureaucracy gets in the way of protecting its own people because it's it, it, I mean, I'm sure most of those rules were put in place to protect American citizens. But then you get so many stacked on top of each other. It's like this like the the snake eating its tail type, you know, thing where it's like, all right, well, we actually just we accidentally just built in protections for these criminals. And right. uh, I, I'm assuming one of them is probably smart enough. They figured that out. And that's why they've stuck to, you know, that's uh, in, in, in addition to it being, you know, versatile and advantageous and giving them, you know, the benefits that it does. Right. That is shocking to me. To yeah. Well, and, and quite frankly, and I. I love my lawyers out there that are prosecutors, but I'm just going to say that lawyers are very conservative because it's all about their uh, their caseloads, right? And and having successful case endings. And so you don't find a lot of lawyers that are willing to say like, you know what, this has never been tried before. Let's try it and see what happens. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're really not like that because they don't want to lose a case. They don't want to have a bad case attached to their name or anything like that. Whereas we're like, Hey man, there's nothing says we can't. So let's try it until somebody says no, um, because we have to figure it out. Yeah. And I guess that's probably one of the things that does, because as you're telling us, I'm just thinking like (laughs) flashbacks, like law and order episodes and things like that, where the district attorney never wants to take it to trial and shit. And so it's funny, right? Because the media depicts things so inaccurately in some instances, but then, you know, not really funny, but kind of funny how accurate they are with some of that. Um, now on that front, has that gotten better over as this, uh, as this fight, this effort has kind of grown 
have you seen more of a buy-in from the uh, on, you know the attorney side like you know hey let's let's try and find a way or hey the you know this is what we need to make this work type thing where it's more collaborative it really it really depends man it's it's uh going to be dependent on where you are it's very um i don't know it just it really depends on the region i think the flavor of that region uh what their their belief system is right because we we have great lawyers here and uh, our prosecutors are are top notch and uh they're willing to like let's figure out a way right uh, let's yeah. let's get it done we we tell them the problem and and i think i even talk about it in the book a little bit where we had a problem with the supply guys right they weren't getting prosecuted we would catch them with just hundreds of pounds of food batteries all that stuff we caught them in these remote areas some of them even admitted what they were doing and we would have to turn them over to border patrol no charges whatsoever stateside border patrol would process them as an illegal and kick them back over the border they would come right back the next day and be right back doing it so um that was one of the things we wanted to attack we said let's start prosecuting these scouts and these resupply mm -hmm. people and they were like okay let's talk about it so we sat down and it took us probably about a month to just have multiple meetings with the lawyers and just lay everything out. And it was laying a foundation and explaining to them, like, just like I'm doing with you, this is how it looks. This is the picture we see. And this is how they are involved. And the lawyers going, okay, we see it. We can connect the dots and we think we can get prosecution in these areas. It fits these crimes. And so thank God we had a couple of prosecutors that were like, let's do it. So we went after our first scouts and on our very first scout. Oh, by the way, I, I should add this caveat in there. The U.S. attorney, um, not the U.S. attorney, but the AUSA. Um, mm -hmm. So our local U.S. attorneys did not want anything to do with this, would not prosecute. Scouts refused to. And so we were oh. like, we got, we got to go local. So we went to our local prosecutors and uh, did everything we did. And they said, let's do it our first scout prosecution and we worked hand in hand with border patrol. So it was us, uh, border patrol and, uh, board tack. Cause, uh, another thing that board tackers are good at is scout interdiction because they'll do a hot halo insert and, uh, they fast rope in on these guys. Cause these scouts are good at getting away in the mountaintops. They're like Billy goats up there, man. And, uh, the board tackers would drop in on them like an air assault team and snatch them up. And then, um, we would go up with our detectives and, and we would get the evidence with Border Patrol's evidence team, collect all the evidence and collect all the uh, the radios, the phones, all that stuff. And then we, the, the county office, would put together the prosecution case and have the detective assigned to present it all. And uh, on our first one, we got three scouts, three good scouts that were uh, that were kind of high up on the scout ladder and uh, two without weapons and one with weapon. And uh, we got two and a half years for each of them without weapons. And then the uh, the guy with a weapon, he gets an automatic 10. So he got 10 with the extra two and a half stacked on. And so we had a successful prosecution. They took pleas right out of the gate because they knew what was coming and they hadn't been prosecuted before. And, and so we started doing that. So we slowly started picking at them, taking off their scouts, taking off their resupplies. Then all of a sudden the AUSA was like, hey, we want to prosecute. And we're like, hey, we tried that already, right? And so we yeah. basically embarrassed them into doing their jobs. And then we started seeing federal prosecution along the whole Southwest border for these 
And uh, it's significantly helped with the problem. So from the legal side, I mean, you, you start making headway, you start seeing these things here in the U.S., and that's that's obviously good. Is there any uh, cooperation at all from the other side of the border? I mean, like when these people get kicked back, they get, you know, Border Patrol dumps them back over. And like we were saying earlier, right? Hey, we'll see you in two weeks, two months, whatever, like these repeat offenders. Does the Mexican government do anything about this are they involved at all they are um and you know back then again if you go back to this time frame of 09 10 11 uh border patrol had some very good and so did hsi some very good cross-border relationships with both the federal side and the uh, local side of the border areas with the uh, mexican cops mexican military uh, and a lot of them are are the same. They're they're just in a worse spot, man, because it's so corrupt over there that mm-hmm. a lot of those cops have to do what they do on the down low. Uh, so if they work with the U.S. government, if they work with U.S. law enforcement, they really have to keep that on the down low uh, because it'll put a huge target on their back. And and the system is so corrupted down there uh, that they you know you see all the time cops getting killed down there because they they had pissed off the cartel or had done something against the cartel so you're fighting that problem but a lot of good a lot of good people on that side good cops uh good government officials that are trying to do the right thing they're just up against a huge machine down there which is the cartel yeah and it's just it's one of those things i want you know i'm sure some other people wonder about it but you know it's such a massive issue whether you're looking at immigration or any of this other stuff we talked about and you know what is the mexican government doing you know and like i i don't i'm not under any false pretenses i understand that it is a like it's a massive machine they are that's a huge undertaking they have on their hands and who knows what it would take what it's going to take to to ever solve that problem but then it's also funny when you hear things you know uh, it's a couple of weeks ago i think i read an article like the mayor of tijuana they they took a, a piece of the Berlin Wall and made it into a monument there, and there you know, made this big political statement about how the U.S. should open its borders, and hopefully this teaches us all to build bridges and not walls. And it's like, well, as a mayor, aren't you supposed to want to like pe- keep people in your city and economically like build things up and like take care of your own space, not like encourage people to leave to go to someplace else? So I well, the, the funny thing is this: uh, if you sneak illegally into their country you are going to pay for that. <laughs> so that that's the odd thing. The, the problem is they just they don't have mass migration going into Mexico from the US, right? If they had that, you can bet your ass Mexico would be doing everything they could to prevent that because it would be doing the same to their country that's happening to our country. The the infrastructure wouldn't be able to handle it. And so um that's the problem is they're not faced with what we're facing and they don't have people coming to their country 200,000 at a time, right? They, they, mm-hmm. uh, so it, it's, it's very naive of them, uh, to try and make those comparisons, um, and, and try and say, Hey, let's have open borders because they don't, they, they don't want people illegally immigrating from Guatemala into their country, from Belize into their country, from the U S into their country. So it's ridiculous for them to expect the same. Well, and it's funny because, uh, you know, when when okay so when when donald trump was elected president and i'm sure you saw the stuff on social media people mostly liberals because <laughs> they didn't like him oh if he gets elected i'm leaving i'm gonna move to canada i'm gonna become a canadian i'm going to mexico i'm going to europe whatever and no they didn't because those countries have standards of immigration they have rules around you know who they will let in and, and who they won't and why and 
and all these things. And it's just funny because those people that couldn't leave for all those reasons are the ones sitting here screaming about, we should make it easier to come into the country here. Everybody should be able to come into the United States. It's like, do you have any idea what you're talking about? Do you have any no. clue at all as to how lax our immigration standards are by comparison to other countries? Right. And it's, it's a, as you're seeing now, if you watch any of the media, whether you watch liberal media or conservative media, it really doesn't matter. You can start seeing the problem manifest now. And what is happening is those people who are against it are starting to be affected. And now all of a sudden they're saying like this, like New York City is a perfect example, right? Mm -hmm. Their mayor saying, oh, you know, it's it's great. Open borders, blah, blah, blah. Now all of a sudden he's like, we have a, a horrible illegal immigration problem. Like, wait a minute, man, make up your mind here. Like, hey, Welcome to the party, pal. Yeah, hey, you can't do both. And and so those people are typically like that. They they just yell and scream about what should be until it affects them. And then they're like, whoa, wait a minute. This is not what I signed up for. And that's not the deal, man. And and I, like I said before, we are a country of immigrants and we should have immigration, but it has to be controlled. There has <laughs> to be a methodology to it. You can't just say, open up the borders and let everybody in. That's not a country anymore. No, and it's never been that way. My my great grandparents on my mother's side immigrated from Mexico. They came up as fruit and vegetable pickers, moved all over the damn place, and then finally ended up here in Michigan. And, you know, they did the legal way and did it from nothing. And, you know, I think a lot of people mistakenly, and you alluded to it very early on in the conversation, you know, people think Border Patrol is all a bunch of racists. And it's like, well... <laughs> No, A, they have a job to do. B, it's there's a process for coming in. If you really want to come to this country, in most instances, I'm going to assume that we'd be happy to have you. But there's a process and there's a reason for that process. And there's a limit to what we can do. And our system has its strains and things. And it, it's just it, it's it's such an asinine thing to look and say, oh, we should we should have, you know, completely open borders. And by the way, at the same time, let's not ask for any identification when they're voting either. So right. great. Fantastic. No, nothing bad can happen. Right? No, it's it's, uh, you know, where the, the point we're at in our country is is a critical point, obviously, because they're trying to degrade all of the rules. And essentially what they're trying to do is erode really the rule of law in our country by saying, hey, let's just open the borders up. Let's not check anybody. Let's just let's trust everybody. And we know from our history that we can't do that because there are people that want to do us harm just for being Americans. That's just that simple fact alone. They want to kill you, your family, and every other American they could get with you. Yeah. Um, so there's no way that we could just say, welcome, everybody. Come in. We don't care who you are, what you've done before. Come on in. Um, and I would, I would say this, for the average American, would you do that at your house? Would you just open your doors up and say, whoever wants to come in, come on in? Uh, no, you wouldn't. And so if you wouldn't no. do it at your house, why are you willing to do it with our country? Well, and it, and it brings with it so many additional issues that people are overwhelmingly concerned with. And we talk about like the fentanyl problem in this country. Like, well, where do you think the, I mean, come on, like you're, you're addressing only certain symptoms and you're treating them all differently. And you, you know, you, you want to look at, and we'll say it again, right? We only, we want to look at this like it's an immigration issue and immigration is almost like, it sounds like anyways, probably the, towards the bottom of the list of yeah. like just nasty, awful shit that is a result of of all of the, you know, these policies. And um, and, and maybe can you talk at all about the shift maybe between like 
you know, when Trump was in office, right? Republican uh, started the border wall. It would really seem there was a big crackdown on the issue to now, obviously we not so much. Uh, what did that shift look like and how, I mean, did, were, did it, did things get better and then a suddenly just get worse all over again? Yeah. So it's tough, man, because I like to take the names out of it, right? Because the names kind of invoke emotion in people, sure. uh, you know, when they hear Trump, they, if they're anti-Trump, they're like, ah, and if they're for Trump, they're like, oh, all the way to the end. Right. And <laughs> so take, take Trump out of it. But when, <laughs> When that administration took office, we saw a significant decline um, in activity in our area. And then what you saw is policies, policies implemented, laws being enforced that needed to be enforced that that really kept that in check. And so it, it kept the immigration system in check. Uh, it kept the cartels in better check. Will they figure out a way around? Yes, they're a multi-million dollar, even billion dollar, uh, you know, organization. So they are going to figure out a way to do their business. But should we make it tougher? Absolutely. And that administration did. Uh, when this administration took over, it was in no time that we not only saw the increase come back uh, yeah. from the Obama era, but it almost went twofold. So we almost doubled what was going on beforehand. And it seems to be degrading faster than we've ever seen it degrade before in my career. And so it, it's definitely when you look at it, who's in office and what their policies are, have a lot to do with how successful we can be in this fight down here. Yeah. And that's just something I think, you know, uh, people have to keep in mind, you know, uh, voting and, and, and elections have consequences and oh, it's, yeah. uh, it's, I don't, I mean, I'm hopeful for the next time around, you know, uh, for, for a lot of reasons, but, uh, you know, really, uh, I think that the border is, it, it's at the center of a lot of conversations, whether people realize it or not, you know, and, um, I hope more Americans start, uh, realizing that, you know, or just paying a little bit closer attention, maybe just acknowledging that it's not a, like I said earlier, it's not a, it's not a two dimensional problem. We cannot just, you know, look at this as an immigration thing. Cause it really, um, it really isn't, you know? No, and, and, and I think the biggest problem right now in America is the loss of middle ground, right? Um, everybody has to be on one side of the, the subject oh instead yeah. of, of having middle ground that we used to have, instead of being able to have a conversation like this, because I would love to have this conversation with a liberal and allow them to ask the same questions. They would have to be willing to hear the answers, right? And and mm -hmm. uh, they don't have to accept that as absolute truth, but they should hear from my perspective, somebody who has fought the actual fight, here's what we're dealing with. Here's what we need help with. Um, and I'll give you an example. In, in our state, uh, we have an AG um, who is a Democrat who is very much a middle ground person. So we have great discussions with our AG. We talk about the problems we're facing as sheriffs across the state. Uh, she listens and we come to viable solutions. And that's the way it should be, right? We we talk to each other. It doesn't matter if you're a D, an R, an I, none of that matters. And honestly, we're all Americans. That's what we should be focused on. We're Americans. What's best for our country? Right. What's best for our state? what's best for our children, because they're really the ones that are going to inherit this mess that we leave them. Um, and that's what we should be focused on. 
Yeah, no, hundred percent, hundred percent agree. And I don't. As I had this conversation the other day, like I don't know when we get away from it, you know, or even. Uh, I think today, right, uh, McCarthy announced that, oh, hey, we're going to do impeachment for for Biden. We're getting into that. And it's like, OK, like, cool, but we can't just keep this back and forth and back because, you know, what happens if, you know, if the next guy's Republican that wins? Oh, as soon as he gets in there, are we going to start? It's just, yeah, we have to get back to some kind of reasonable middle ground and hopefully a little bit more common sense and, and less uh, uh, apprehensiveness. But um, Matt, this has been awesome, brother. Like I, I, I love this. Um, I appreciate the hell out of you making the time. I know you're probably not, uh, you know, an abundance of free time, uh, with your job and everything going on. So, um, before we kind of, we, we, we end it here for the listeners, anybody wants to know more about you or, or the efforts that you have going on, where can they find you online or, or find your book as well? Yeah. So, uh, the book is easy, man. They can just go to my website, which is, uh, one time nation, all one word.com. Um, that has a little bit about me, has a little bit about the book, um, where they can find the book, all that stuff. And the book is on all the, the normal book platforms as well. Uh, for me, I'm most active on, I, I really don't have the time to do a bunch of social media stuff all over different platforms. So I'm active on Instagram and, uh, my Instagram handle is at deputy underscore one time. And yes, that has a story behind it. We'll do it some other time. Um, and then, uh, on LinkedIn, you know, I'm, I am who I am. I'm Matthew Thomas. <laughs> Excellent. Excellent. Well, thank you again. And you will definitely be in touch. Love to do it again and, and dig further into this, uh, and appreciate the hell out of it, sir. And, uh, stay safe out there. All right. Thanks brother. Good, good to be with you. And thanks for having me. Wow. I did not realize, uh, I mean, and I, I've read, Matt's book, but I didn't realize it's been, you know, 30 years <clears throat> for him, uh, at the, at that sheriff's department. Uh, I also didn't realize that he had spent time, you know, doing detention, narcotics, uh, you know, and, and all those things. So what's cool is his, I mean, I, I would say you would work pretty hard to find a more well-rounded individual, especially in the realm of law enforcement. And, especially given that in his county with everything that they encounter and everything that he's had the opportunity to work on and learn, man, what uh, just a wealth of knowledge uh, on this particular subject. And, you know, (laughs) uh, there's a lot going on. We got into, we got into so much, you know, so when we talk about the border, we talk about uh, the immigration issue, understand, right. That it's not just people coming over, um, it's not a race thing. I know some people will try and bait, you know, people into arguments on that and stuff. It's not a, it's not any of those things. It's, it's like everything rolled up into one. You talk about the drug issue and, and human trafficking, you know, uh, we, we had Kira on a couple of weeks ago talking about human trafficking and the Southern border. She pointed out there too, is it is the largest point of infiltration for human trafficking. Uh, and he talks about it, right? The cartel, oh, you don't have the money. Oh, well, hey, guess what? You're going to be an indentured servant and it's never really going to go away. Even if uh, you get busted coming back over and you claim asylum and things, those cartels, they, they have a far reach. It's a very complex and intricate issue. And, and, and you know, and, and Matt said it, there's, there's a lot of good people doing a lot of good work at, in in all parts of this fight, but it's you know it, it's tough when you're fighting an organization um, like those cartels that have all those resources and you know uh, are are you know they they make a lot of money. They're not going to just give up. 
Um, and they've been successful in a lot of endeavors. And just like our law enforcement, you have two really well-equipped, really uh, <laughs> uh, determined entities, right? Kind of fighting each other uh, over this. And it's, you know, I, I mean, I, I wonder at what point will it actually get better? Uh, now, Matt did allude to, you know, policy changes help and things like, and maybe that's it. Right. Maybe we start to see a crackdown if we see a shift, if we see some kind of political change here in the United States with the next, uh, you know, the, the election in a year. Um, and, and maybe that's it. You know, maybe we do need a, a shift back to policies that are reminiscent of uh, the previous administration. And that'll help address a lot of this. You know, uh, just just talking with Matt and thinking to myself, right, think about the drug problem in this country. We've all lost someone we love to to drugs or i mean lately it's fentanyl it's so incredibly dangerous and deadly well where do you think it's coming from it 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 it, it all stems back to the border and there's a lot going on we got into so much stuff in this discussion honestly i still have so many more questions and i uh, i look forward to being able to sit down and, and and pick matt's brain more i guess from a more uh detailed perspective, because uh, I find it very fascinating. You know, you take this law enforcement element, like the SWAT team and the anti-smuggling teams and the BORTAC teams and stuff that are, uh, you, you would not necessarily typically think <clears throat> of applying the military skill sets that he talked about and things uh, to law enforcement. We, we tend to see it as two separate and distinct worlds and, and lines of work. And in reality, and we know this when we talk about training, when we talk about uh, tactics and understanding and knowledge and things, there's no line there. The, the lines are blurred. You know, the, the definitions and, the, and, and I guess the better word would be the distinction lies within the application of those skills. So uh, really cool to hear, you know, Matt share how they were borrowing or really, I guess, exchanging tactics, you know, uh, helping the military understand and learn law enforcement uh, applications for the global war on terror, knocking on doors, going building to building and CQB fundamentals and, uh, you know, interrogating people and and investigating and things like that. All those things that had to go on overseas while, you know, here continentally, they're learning from our war fighters. They're learning small unit tactics, which a lot of us train in. They are learning how to, you know, be better with communications. They're learning how to uh, adopt and utilize better equipment and better gear, things like night vision, which a lot of us are getting into. And shout out to Custom Night Vision, who is a sponsor of this podcast, right? If you're looking to get into night vision, check them out. If you are somebody who's trying to be more effective, you know, that's that's a big step. If you can drive around at night, like Matt was saying, and uh, I, I do recommend you guys pick up his book. Uh, you can call it a shameless plug. You can call it shilling. I don't care. I read the book. I enjoyed it. And I wish there was more published text around the southern border issue because it's not new. It's not like, you know, in 2020 or 2021 with the new uh, administration that came in, <clears throat> we saw, you know, oh, wow, now this is a thing. Like the cartels, drug smuggling and things like that, those, these have been ongoing issues since the 90s. Like this was an existing problem when Matt got into law enforcement. He goes into that in his book and you know, it's not going away anytime soon. But I, I wish there was more information out there that was readily available um, about the fight, about the battles going on, the the tactics that have to be employed, and the complexity. Just understanding that it's not just you know some schlubby looking Mexicans uh, with their donkey 
loaded up with, uh, you know, bushels of marijuana coming across the border. There's a high level of complexity. There's a high level of sophistication and it's dangerous. There's, there's a lot to get into. There's a lot to unpack. And we just like, we skim the surface, you know, I, I honestly, I, I want to know more. Um, I find it to be, uh, incredibly fascinating partially. And maybe this has something to do with it is I, you know, uh, those of you guys have been listening for a while. Uh, no, I've said it before that I'm, I'm part Mexican. Um, some of the stuff he talks about in his book is very accurate. The heritage and the culture is a very big part of life. Um, but it's also uh, a very big point of discussion here with everything that we talk about with preparedness. Can you imagine being, and maybe some of you listening are, and if you are, uh, or I should, before I get ahead of myself, maybe some of you listening are in these communities uh, on the Southern border. And I <laughs> would love um, if you're listening to this for you guys to reach out and share your experiences and talk about your thoughts and feelings uh, around personal defense and preparedness for yourself and your community as it relates to the the real issues and the real problems that you're facing uh, as a, I guess, a side effect or as a result of the, the policies that are in place right now around the southern border and immigration and how that's all being handled by this administration. Um, <clears throat> you know, a lot of us can sit here and pontificate around home defense and why we want to protect our homes and what our major concerns are. But for a lot of us, it's all, it's a lot of hypothetical. I don't hear in the Metro Detroit area really anticipate a charging Canadian invasion, um, anytime soon. Um, criminal activity. Sure. Uh, Detroit has a, a large amount of violent crime. It has a, a high level of violence. Um, it can be a very dangerous place if you go looking for trouble in places that you shouldn't. But that's a very different story from people living in these border communities where they realistically <clears throat> have opportunities, uh, not that they seek them out, but opportunities where they may run into uh, cartel personnel, people that are there for nefarious means and purposes, and that just may be part of your everyday life. Um I'd be very interested to hear that as it does change the lens and it does change the scope of our conversation when we talk about self-defense, preparedness, awareness, and all those things. So um, I hope you guys got something out of this. I hope you really enjoyed it. Um, I really did like talking to Matt. It was very enlightening, very educational, and that's what we really strive for here um, with all of our guests <clears throat> Excuse me, and uh, all of our discussions is to bring this information to you guys. This isn't something I already knew. This isn't something where I'm just, uh, I don't know, um, trying to get somebody else to echo my own knowledge, my own thoughts, and some podcasts do that, and I don't, I don't love that. Um, this has been and will always be a tool to share information, and it is a, I like to think of it as a documentation of sorts of my personal learning, uh, and I, and I want to share that with all of you. So I, I do sincerely hope you guys learn from this. Um, and I hope you have questions. I mean, reach out to Matt, find out what's going on down there. If you're in those communities, reach out to your local law enforcement, find out what you can do, if anything, to help. The answer may literally just be, and some people probably don't want to hear this, but the answer may literally just be, you have to be smarter at the voting station. You have to vote for officials and for, you know, governmental, uh, you know, uh, senators, president, whatever, that have a tough stance on immigration, on the southern border, on securing our southern border, the border wall. Now, I'm not, I'm not telling you you should vote 
Republican. Um, one of the things that Matt mentioned was that middle ground, and they have Democrats there that that have a tough stance on the immigration problem because they live it and they deal with it. But do your due diligence and look these people up. I Today, I just got a text message from one of my uh, elected state representatives asking if I would like to subscribe to their newsletter. So what I do, I Googled them. And I looked up their stances. I looked up their uh, the bills which they have sponsored, which have been some of them were good ones. A lot of them was like animal, um, like anti animal cruelty stuff. Then you also look at the stuff that they have co sponsored, and a lot of it I did not agree with. So you know, obviously, did not opt in for that newsletter. But be be informed. Do your research. We talk about that all the time with gear and firearms and, and training, but. Um, I feel like sometimes when we get past that first level knowledge, the stuff that's going to immediately impact us and our ability to operate, um, we kind of drop the ball as individuals sometimes. So make sure you're doing that work. Make sure you're putting that effort in um, and dig into this stuff. But uh, but that's all I got for you guys this week. I've really been looking forward to this episode, so I do hope that you guys enjoy it. I did, um, and I look forward to getting Matt back on in the future so that we can, we can dive deeper into this. We can get uh, a little bit uh, further into the weeds, if you will, on the details behind the training and, and, and some of the things that they're, they're doing there in uh, Pinal County. So that's all for me, folks. Until next time, get out there, do your research, read a book, go touch some grass, all that good shit. Uh, we'll have a, uh, you will have a breakdown and a debrief from you guys from the HTA range day event. We're going to be heading out there this weekend. So that should be really, really good. Uh, very much looking forward to the training opportunity and the knowledge we'll gain there as well, but more to come on that until next time, folks get out there, work hard, train smarter. And like we always say here, be prepared. Be prepared.